make sure you don't unplug your headphones. I know. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, after the terribleness of last episode, which nobody knows about, Ooh. because it was, re- it was released without a hitch, but there were many hitches on the way to that episode last week. Not One last week. Particularly large earlier hitch. this week. Oh my god. Yeah. So loud outside. <laughs> what the fuck was that? Uh, motorcycles. Motorcycles. Every- yeah, okay. Everyone shut up. Aw, the fiance is closing the windows. Surprise! Tell me I'm Haley nice. and Elliot are engaged. Whoop whoop. Let's tell you that you're nice, Elliot. You got her He's a nice ring. Nice. Um, you can post Aww. to Haley. That makes you nice. I got an audible kiss. Oh, you're disgusting. Get out of here. Okay, good. Um, this isn't a romance podcast, Haley. No, this is the opposite. We're going to talk about some serious, gross ass shit today. Yes. Um. Actually, that. Thank you for saying that because that reminds me. I want to talk about some serious shit before we get into this. Okay. Um. It was recently pointed out to me on Apple Podcasts that I have been pretty disrespectful to Haley. What? Um. I. You don't read apparently. Um. See, there I go again. Um. But no, seriously, I have apparently been showing you disrespect um i haven't been acting like your topics are worth my time and of interest and that is not okay um i also don't think that's a fair assessment i i but you know what just because i didn't think i was being disrespectful does not give me the right i you don't get to decide whether or not other people say that you are being disrespectful and you're one of the people that I respect the most in my life. And therefore, thank you to the person who pointed it out. And I apologize to Haley. And in general, I will do better because what you say is important. What she says is important to everybody. I do find her topics to be interesting. Sometimes I try not to talk too much because I don't want to talk over her or because I know we have a limited amount of time to get something done, but I am sorry that that was not being conveyed in an appropriate manner, and I will do better, and I will try to be... Well, no, I will be more mindful and more respectful. And that's all I have to say on that. I just also want to say, I don't even really like going into this, but uh, what you hear on the podcast is a very, very short, truncated amount of time that we spend on this. We are spending quadruple the amount of time research and uh, watching uh, documentaries and everything that goes into this. So, uh, I don't know. Think about what you say before you say something. Also, when you're hidden behind a uh, a screen name, it's easy to be like not as, uh, I don't know, polite <laughs> i guess i could say uh i mean for the most part we have fantastic people that are listening and uh we love them very dearly and we never thought that we would get a listenership like this and we appreciate every single person that takes the time to listen but um yeah i'm just like sometimes uh people will say things and you don't know you don't know me <laughs> or caitlin and what our stance on things are, or how we feel about victims, or how we feel about oh no, Haley, I wasn't being sorts. disrespectful to victims. I'm sorry, no, I, I don't mean I, to I interrupt. Mean, we've gotten that. I was being note. disrespectful towards you. No, but we've gotten that note before too. And also, um, you don't know us and how we feel about cases or the cases each of us choose, or why we chose them, or how we connect ourselves to each of these cases emotionally and um i yeah i hate talking about this because for the people that love and listen to us a lot it's a non-issue they don't see those comments so i don't even know why i'm mentioning it because the people that don't like us are not listening to this well you didn't mention it i mentioned it i brought it up anyway (laughs) 
because I did feel that it was important to address because I don't want you thinking that I was disrespecting you. I don't want anybody to feel that I don't respect you. I respect you. I respect all of the research that you do, all the hard work you do. Haley and I are partners in this. And yeah, we're friends. The amount of work you put into this. Yes, but I'm saying we're partners in this and the amount of work that you put into this is a lot. And you're very dedicated and you're exactly the type of person that you that somebody would want to make a podcast with. Somebody would want to create things with. And so if I'm not doing my due diligence, then that's on me. And I take that and I will be more responsible. Well, I absolve you of any fault that you think you have. And uh, we're going to jump into the episode because this has gone on way too long. I absolve you of your (laughs) sins. Go forth and be disciples among men. Say in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Marys that you desire. (laughs) Anyway, I I even remember Hail Marys. (laughs) Is that bad? Probably Uh, bad. God's a woman anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Yes, that has gone on way too long. Now let's talk about Sorry. some terrible, terrible stuff. And yes. um, I chose this because being spooktober, this is one of the spookiest things I could think of. Uh, I heard about this case. It's a case from uh, across the ocean, not a uh, U.S.-based case, which we do like to visit cases that aren't U.S.-based a lot. Yes, and, and shout out to our listeners who are not U.S.-based exactly. and who are across the ocean. Or oh. just a little bit further north. Yes, exactly. Like and Cameron, whose pin got bounced back. Sorry, Cameron. We're working on it. <laughs> I'm getting a reshipment. We're all good. Oh, poor Cameron. <laughs> Everybody send thoughts and prayers to Cameron. Just oh, not yes. Hail Marys, because no one remembers them. Um, but anyway, yeah, you so were saying? This, this case, uh, when I first heard about it, uh, it takes place on... Uh, at jersey and i was like oh sweet jersey but it's not new jersey it's old jersey it's original jersey this is um uh the ballywick of jersey which i had to look up the word ballywick and apparently it means self-governing british crown dependency so there's that um it's actually the largest of the channel islands and it has been under british rule since the reign of william the conqueror very interesting Mm mm-hmm um, the island has since remained part of the crown and it's endured a strong British influence and a rich and colorful history, which includes the German occupation during World War II. However, okay. by, the, by the 1950s, the islanders experienced a new terror, which is what I'm going to be talking about, when women and children were preyed upon viciously and sexually assaulted by what they described as a masked man who vanished into the night. And when you see the mask that this man wore... You will have nightmares for the rest of your life because it is horrifying. It is, oh. It's the scariest thing I could probably think of. It's it's the one that Jim Carrey wore, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, that that is a little that, more jovial than the one that chin was terrifying. That's true. But this whole thing is horrifying. It literally looks like an Ed Gein face. Like it looks like it's been ripped from a human body it's horrible oh man oh man yeah so the newspapers referred to the unknown attacker as the beast of jersey and from 1957 Mm. to 1971 he managed to escape capture and would claim numerous victims before the police were finally able to unmask him so that's what we're talking about today the beast of jersey and it is an insane story shout out to my fiance who taught me a bunch of french words for this episode. Oh, jeez. That means something romantic in French. Yeah, it was cute. I understand some French, but I can't say it for shit. So I had to write it out all phonetically that I would understand. Yeah. And that's not great. So It was fun to listen to, though. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, so I'm going to jump right into it because there is actually a lot to get into. And I first wanted to shout out that I got, I'm going to say all of this information from pretty much one source, which I don't usually like to do, but I did cross-reference with a couple of other sources, but this one source, True Crime Database, um, the article on the Beast of Jersey, I'm going to link it on the website. They just had the most complete 
and concise history of this case that I just took most of my information from this site. So shout out to True Crime Database. They are incredible. And if you ever want to do research on any cases that we talk about or need some information for, I don't know, a serial killer essay, let's say you're going to write for high school, use True Crime Database because they're fantastic. So True Crime Database, more like True Crime Daddy Base. Am I right? Ew. I Am I it. right? I hated it so much. <laughs> but I waited so long. I was so, so patient. <laughs> anyway, let's begin. So yes. the first attack that was attributed to the beast was a 29-year-old nurse who was waiting for a bus at Montalab area and was attacked by a man and dragged into a nearby field where she was sexually assaulted. Oh. Um, although she was severely injured with wounds that required stitches, she was alive and able to describe her attacker to the police. And uh, keep these uh, descriptions in mind because they will carry through pretty much the entire episode. So okay. she said that the man faked an Irish accent and that he was wearing something that covered his face so she couldn't provide the police with a positive description. The next attack happened uh, the following year in March of 1958 when a 20-year-old woman was attacked as she was walking home from a bus stop in the parish of Trinity. And this time the man placed a rope around the victim's neck, dragged her into a field, and then raped her there. Ugh. Yeah, it's, it is horrifying. He's a piece of shit. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll, spoiler alert, we'll learn his name. We'll be able to name the piece of shit later on. <laughs> There's vindication that comes with this. Okay, good. Um, so by July 1958, a third victim was reported to the police. Um, she was attacked also while she was walking home from a bus stop. Okay. In almost the exact same circumstances as the pre previous victim, the attacker placed a rope around the 31-year-old's neck, dragged her into a field, and raped her. Police all now these women have lived, right? All these women have lived. Yeah. Okay. These three victims attacked at bus stops um, all have lived. Okay. So police have linked these crimes to a single perpetrator because of the similarity of the attacks, obviously. And the women were near a bus stop, like I said, or walking home from one. And also the use of the rope, which would become the signature for uh, the crimes. Um, it was almost a year before any other crimes were committed. And in August 1959, a young girl was similarly attacked when she walked home near the parish of Grooville. And again, in October in 19, uh, sorry, October of that same year, 1959, a 28-year-old woman was assaulted in the St. Martin Parish, although uh, this time the victim was able to fight off the man and he ran away. Investigators Coward. were now convinced that they were dealing with a sexual predator who was stalking the mm -hmm. island for female victims. The women were able to provide a basic description of the man, which was fairly consistent and it placed his age around early to mid 40s and his height generally like five, six. Okay. Yeah. So right now we have five attacks and they're starting to like build up this picture of who this person is. And it was also believed that he faked the Irish accent to, to disguise his real voice. And in some cases, he wore the mask that would cover his face. And. They described their attacker as having a strange musty odor and um, that he wore a rope or cord around his waist that he would use to restrain his victim's hands. And again, keep all of these notes in your head because they carry through until the end. He does not change his MO. It's okay. almost always the same exact thing. Not very creative. Um, because of the similarities as of the attacks police were confident that it was the same man uh and the unidentified rapist was nicknamed the beast of jersey by the press by 1960 the attacks continued and intensified however it was noticed by police that the perpetrator uh, perpetrator had changed his victim preference and was now targeting victims inside their homes um in the first little shift of his mo the beast targeted a 12-year-old boy who was attacked in his home in the region of Grand Vaux um, in the early hours of Valentine's Day. 
The boy was woken up by a man who climbed in through his bedroom window, placed a rope around his neck. The boy was then led outside and sexually assaulted. Ugh. Yeah, this is the thing, too. Like, in these next couple of attacks, he breaks into the home, takes the victim outside the home, attacks them, and then lets them go back into their home. Okay. So he has not killed anybody. No. Yeah. But he's done some pretty <coughs> shitty things. Yeah. Oh, I'm not I'm not yes. giving him relief for any of no, this. No, I know. <laughs> um but it, it it's very weird in the uh the thought process of usually unfortunately you want to leave no witnesses. So this man must be pretty confident that no one's going to be able to identify him. So the next month, a 25-year-old woman was offered a ride as she walked to a bus stop in St. Berlad um, by a man who was driving a Rover make of car. The man claimed that he was a doctor on his way to pick up his wife, and the victim accepted the ride. However, during the journey, the man drove into a field and attacked the woman, punching her into submission, threatening to kill her if she didn't do as he, was, as he told her. He tied her hands behind her head and then dragged her from the car into a field where she was raped. Afterwards, he placed her back inside the car and drove away. She then attempted to escape and ran from the vehicle screaming for help, and the man drove away, making his escape before help arrived. In her description of the attacker, the woman remembered that he wore a duffel coat, a peaked cap, and gloves, but... She couldn't provide any more details because his features were obscured by the darkness. So this latest attack was similar to the previous attacks attributed to the beast. And the police were confused by the perpetrator's random selection of a 12 year old boy during the Valentine's day assault. Um, although there were, they were unsure why he selected a different victim type. They were certain it was committed by the same man because of the use of the rope that was signature. Later, in March 1960, he targeted a 43-year-old mother and her 14-year-old daughter in their isolated cottage in St. Martin Parish. The mother was asleep when she was woken up at 12.30 a.m. by the downstairs telephone ringing. When she lifted the receiver to answer it, she heard only a click and then a dial tone and the line went dead. And this scenario right here, my actual living nightmare. Yeah, this no, I don't horrifying. like that. Yeah. This is that's literally some, like babysitter and the man upstairs. Exactly. Shit. That's what I was just going to say. This is literally like horror movie setup. It's. I can't even imagine the terror. Um, Camilla Bell is running the other way. <laughs> yes. So um, she picked up the phone, heard the dial tone, the line went dead. So thinking nothing of it, she returned to bed, but was woken up again an hour later by unusual sounds coming down, coming from downstairs. As she walked down the stairs to investigate, she noticed that, the lights went out when she reached the bottom of the staircase and she could hear someone moving around in the living room. Again. Okay. Most horrifying thing. Yeah, I um, would fucking move. In the darkness, she located the telephone and attempted to call the police, but found that the phone lines had been ripped from the wall. Fuck. In that moment, she was confronted by a man who grabbed her roughly, demanding money and threatened to kill her. Okay. When the 14-year-old daughter came downstairs to see what the noise was, the man let the mother go and left the house immediately. The woman then fled the house and went to a nearby farmhouse to raise the alarm. But when she returned home, she found that her daughter had been brutally raped. Oh my God. Yeah. So he ran out of the house, waited for her to run out of the house and then went back into the house. Oh my God. Yeah. How old is the daughter again? 14. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Jesus. Didn't get a victim's name, but, uh, horrifying that's probably because she's a minor yeah yeah so the attacker had used the same method attaching the rope to the victim's neck after tying her hands detectives were unable to get a description from either the mother or the daughter probably because the lights were all out and it was dark and they were terrified uh i wouldn't blame anyone for not getting a description <clears throat> right so i believe this is eight victims right now if i'm counting correctly i haven't been counting so i can't tell you <laughs> <laughs> it, it it just gets worse as we go on. Oh, so, fun. So over the next year, there were five similar attacks, all against children, 
And the rapist had by now really defined his victimology and his MO, which included forced entry of the victim's home and then abduction and then sexual assault. In April 1960, a 14-year-old girl woke up to find the beast of Jersey in her bedroom. She would later describe to the police that he was wearing an odd-looking mask, and when she screamed, he ran away. Several months later, in July, an eight-year-old boy was abducted from his home and assaulted. He described a man wearing a raincoat who took him away and afterwards led him back to his home and left him on his doorstep. No more attacks were reported until the next year in February 1961, when a 12-year-old boy was assaulted in the Mont-Cochon area under similar circumstances in march an 11 year old boy was attacked in the saint savior savior yes savior um i I don't know yes the saint savior parish um an 11 year old girl was horrifically raped in the saint martin uh parish in april at this stage in the investigation the jersey police were no closer to catching the rapist than at the very beginning there, were significant, there was significant pressure from the public who was understandably scared for the well-being of their children. Uh, meanwhile, the press coverage of the crimes now depicted the strange police force who were unable to make a breakthrough after a three-year search. So they're starting to feel pressure from the community, from the media. They're at a loss here. They have a couple yeah. of descriptions of the same thing. They know it's the same person, but there's no new information that is giving them anything to go on they're very stuck so it was at this point the jersey police requested help from mainland specifically the scotland yard who sent detective superintendent jack mannings uh for the from the murder squad when he arrived on the island he set about refocusing the investigation and he requested help from the islanders themselves who were asked to be vigilant when um and when the press were given a composite of the suspect The officers began looking at every man on the island with a criminal record who had a history of sexual assault or rape, which when you have nothing to go on, I guess seems like a good start. You have, you know, you know, it has to be somebody local because they're committing all these crimes one after the other in the same sort of areas. Um, Yeah. Obviously somebody who knows the island pretty well and is able to get away before help can come. So, starting to look at like narrowing down the suspect pool, I guess would be the way to go. Um, these men were questioned at length and then ruled out uh, of the investigation one by one. Every man on the Island was asked to provide fingerprints to eliminate them as a suspect. Only 13 of them refused, which was their right as a resident of Jersey at the time. Um, the investigation soon focused on 30 suspects who were placed under surveillance. One of these men was an agricultural worker and fisherman named Alphonse Le Gastelois. Um, he was a 45-year-old who was around the correct age of the beast, and he was known to roam country lanes at night wearing a dirty old raincoat with a piece of rope for a belt. I don't know how you get known for that, but that's what he was known for. So this also matched the well-known description of the beast, and soon, uh, local feelings towards Gastawa became hostile. Uh, fueled by personal grudges, rumors, and gossip, he was soon considered by many to be the prime suspect. Um, Detective Manning said that uh, he had the Jersey police bring him in for questioning, and he was released 14 hours later due to lack of evidence. I can't imagine being questioned for 14 hours. Um, yeah, that's no. I can't work for like eight hours. Yeah, and I think that's what they talk about in that show, that Netflix show, Exhibit A. I want to say it was. Um, that they talk about um, how sometimes they'll collect evidence and how that evidence could be wrong. So one of the episodes focused on false confessions, and if you question somebody for fourteen hours, I mean. Sometimes you'd say anything to get out of that room. So uh, he, uh, Gastelwa did not confess to the crimes. He was just released due to lack of evidence. But I wouldn't blame him if he confessed to something after being grilled for 14 hours. I mean, yeah. who wouldn't? 
So despite the fact that he was let go for lack of evidence, his clothing was sent in for forensic examination by Scotland Yard, and he was sent home in some ill-fitting clothes. And because his name had been released to the public and he was unable to live his life under normal conditions, um, he experienced threats and abuse on a daily basis. Eventually, the public suspicion around Gastelwa culminated in his cottage being burned down in an act of arson. Um, as a result, he left the island in May 1961 for self-imposed exile on an uninhabited rock island in the Channel Islands called, let me see, I put the pronunciation elsewhere because I'm dumb. Ekreu is the name of the island. It's a tiny little uninhabited island. So he basically like stranded himself on this tiny island. Um, he lived as a recluse and um, lived a very quiet existence on the reef after being tortured by his, I guess, friends on the island, which is horrible. Um, so although the beast had not been caught, investigators were still able to learn much about his MO. He was very familiar with the island, in particular the eastern areas, and would always stalk his victims at night. And he had so far always struck on a moonlit evening on a weekend between 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. His victims were carefully selected, and he demonstrated some pre-planning in advance because of how he approached his intended targets, bringing everything he would need to subdue them. In his latest attacks, he would enter the bedroom through the window and then move silently and fast, often shining a flashlight to wake up his sleeping victims, and then he used a rope or cord to bind their hands and blindfold so that they could not identify him. In almost every case, the victim was led outside with a rope um, around their necks to a nearby field where they were sexually assaulted before being returned home. His face was always covered with either a mask or a scarf, which concealed the lower half of his face, and every victim recalled how his clothing, which usually consisted of a raincoat or low-cut jacket, gave off a very distinct, musty smell. He also wore a peaked cap and gloves. He would talk often during his attacks, and his voice was described as soft with that fake Irish accent I talked about. And he used that mm -hmm. in almost every case to disguise his voice. During the attacks, he would often mention his wife, his dead mother, who had died an alcoholic, and also that he had killed before and threatened to do so again if they did not comply with his demands. Which Something tells me he hasn't killed before. No, but also he seems quite chatty yeah. for someone who's like faking an accent. Like the more you say, to say, yeah, the more you say someone's going to identify you. Yeah. Why? It, obviously, this dude is shit at accents. If yeah, because everybody everybody's said it was a going fake, accent. fake Irish accent. Yeah. So wouldn't the whole thing be talk as little as possible? Yeah. Uh, somebody must have told him at some point in his life that he was not good at accents. No, this guy's shit. Um, at accents. Just and in general. So it was believed that he was between 40 and 45 years old, around 5'6", like I talked about, medium build, and had a mustache. Although Detective Manning's investigation uh, did not identify a suspect, it was successful in scaring the beast into stopping his attacks and no more attacks were reported for two years. Okay. The Beast then struck again in April 1963 with an attack on a nine-year-old boy in the St. Savior Parish. Um, he used the same method he did through all of his other crimes. Mm -hmm. Later that year in November, another attack occurred in the St. Savior area uh, when an 11-year-old boy was assaulted. After this, the Beast vanished again to avoid capture. He resurfaced again in July 1964, attacking a 10-year-old girl in, a tr in the Trinity Parish. And again in August, he attacked a 16-year-old boy in the Greville Parish before disappearing once more. No further incidents were reported for another two-year period, and the intense police search eventually subsided. In 1966, Jersey police received a strange letter from someone claiming to be the Beast of Jersey, saying roughly the following. I believe that this is a translation, so I don't think it is word for word um, 
what the actual letter said but okay roughly it says my dear sir i think that it is time i tell you that you are just wasting your time as every time i have done what i have always intended to do and remember it will not stop at this but i will be fair to you and give you a chance i have never had much out of this life but i intend to get everything i can now i have always wanted to do the perfect crime i have done this but this time let the moon shine very bright in september because this time it must be perfect not one but two i am not a maniac by a long shot but i like to play with you people you will hear from me before september and i will give you all the clues just see if you can catch me sincerely very sincerely yours wait and see what the fuck this sounds like a watcher letter it sounds like if the watcher and the zodiac had a baby exactly these and the baby was french but did really shitty irish accents and he said he's not a maniac by a long shot but uh, (laughs) only psychos send police mail yes as we've learned yes (laughs) or police floppy disks as we'll get to eventually we'll get to yes (laughs) we'll get to that fucking train wreck um so although there were some doubts about the authenticity of this letter there was a subsequent attack committed in august 1966 as promised in the letter a 15 year old girl was savagely raped in the trinity parish and it was identical to previous assaults attributed to the beast this specific attack also contained one new element that was missing from the other incidents this time the rapist left an un- left unusually long scratches parallel and evenly spaced on the victim's torso after this there were no more attacks attributed to the beast of jersey for the remainder of the decade which would be the longest hiatus in the series of crimes yeah what the fuck yeah i Um, wonder what uh, happened wait when was this this when was was, his last crime committed this was august 1966 so not until 1970 did he attack again yeah but i'm wondering could there have been any wars happening at that time when was vietnam that was in the 70s because, I don't like, think that anything was going on. It's not fair. Yeah, Vietnam was going on 55 to 75. Okay. Theoretically, like, he was, maybe he was sent off to Vietnam. Got drafted. But he's from the Isle of Jersey. Maybe so, was he they, in that war? <laughs> I don't fucking know. I barely know my area. Do you think I... Mm, I only know stuff that I've written down. But anyway, he didn't attack for the rest of the decade. So weird. The authorities had numerous theories to explain the long breaks between the attacks. Was one of them Vietnam? Uh, They thought that maybe he was in prison for similar crimes, or he could be a visitor from the mainland, so he wasn't actually an island resident. It was also suspected that the... um, the investigation was getting close to apprehending him and the beast decided to go to ground to avoid capture. Whatever but the somebody truth was, who's... Go ahead. Uh, he was not heard from again until August 1970. I, I understand all of those except that last one because somebody who has become this unhinged cannot keep down their urges for 10 years. I also think that like... There's a definite possibility he could have committed more crimes than are being detailed, but he seems like such a creature of habit, like doing the same MO for every single attack. Like even an idiot like Ted Bundy switched it up. Yeah. Like this guy is doing the exact same thing every single attack. So if there was any other crimes attributed to him, I don't think he would have switched up his MO for something different. No. So I it's, agree. It's very weird, this long stretch. So the latest attack, the 1971, um, it involved a 13-year-old boy who was woken up in his home in the Valais de Vaux area by an intruder wearing a terrifying mask who shone a flashlight in his face, demanding that the boy get out of bed. Fearfully, the boy did as he was told and was taken outside to a field in the rear of the house where the man laid a raincoat on the ground and had the boy remove his pajamas before assaulting him. He then returned the boy to his home and vanished. Because the man had threatened the boy to remain quiet, telling him, quote, if you don't, some, uh, if you don't someone will harm your mother and father, end quote. Um, he didn't raise the alarm until 8 a.m. the following morning, obviously because he was terrified for yeah. his family. 
His parents voiced their distress, and when questioned further, he gave them a description of the events, which had become well-known to the authorities at this point. Right. The boy told the police that the man was wearing an unusual mask with black, spiky hair. Um, When examined, it was found that the boy had the same odd scratches as the previous victim in August 1966. It was evident that the rapist had resurfaced, and police now began a new round of questioning uh, to locate the man responsible. A large majority of the island, over 30,000 people, were spoken to during the investigation, but even this failed to produce a suspect. The police were beginning to think that the beast was some sort of phantom or boogeyman who had committed his heinous crimes before vanishing without a trace. But this would all change the following year when a break was made in the case. On the night of July 10th, 1971, two Jersey police officers, Tom McGinn and John uh, Riseborough, were on night duty in their marked police car and were patrolling the St. Helier area. At around 11.45 p.m., the two officers pulled up to a set of traffic lights and noticed a small Morris uh, 1100 saloon car. I don't know what kind of car that is. Um, Mm, It raced past them at a high speed and uh, jumped various lights. Okay. So I'm thinking a small, fast car. Not very fancy. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Somebody send me a picture of what this car looks like. Um, the police immediately followed in pursuit and noticed that the car was being driven in, a, in an erratic manner. And uh, when the driver noticed that he was being tailed, he led a high-speed chase that lasted for several miles, during which the runaway car sideswiped several other cars and drove down footpaths in an attempt to evade capture. The chase ended when the car crashed into a hedge after being driven on the wrong side of the road, and it came to rest in a tomato field. The Officers exited their car and gave chase on foot. They managed to capture the man when one of the officers tackled him to the ground, and despite struggling for some time, he was eventually placed under arrest and taken to the police station. Once the officers were able to clearly see the arrested man, um, they were surprised to discover what he was wearing. Can you guess what he was wearing? Is it a creepy mask? (laughs) Not quite. Almost, though. He was dressed in an old raincoat, which gave off a very pungent, musty smell. The coat had one-inch nails protruding from both shoulders and the lapel of the coat. He had cloth bands around each wrist, which also had one-inch nails protruding from them. He was wearing a pair of old pants that were tucked into his socks. He also had on slippers and wool gloves. Oh my god. Yeah. Wait till you hear his excuse for what he was wearing. Oh, I can't wait. Let me guess. Let me guess. Please let me guess. Guess, please. You're not going to get it. All right. I've got two ideas. One, he's gardening. Okay. Two, he's like hunting vermin of some sort. I don't know why bunnies keep popping in my head, but I don't think it's bunnies. No. Uh, it's, it's something. Uh, he Aww. said his odd choice of clothing um, it didn't immediately raise suspicions from the officers, which... What? Uh, why? How? You got nails coming out of your jacket. And this um, is way before, like, the punk era. Yep. Well, he told the officers that he was on his way to an attend an orgy. <laughs> yep. What the fuck? That's your even first his, response, dude? Even his excuses are, like, sexual. Like, this the dude orgy. is, like obsessed yes oh my god yeah Uh, so women love nails (laughs) yeah however oh i'll get to why he how he thinks he can explain the nails in a minute just give me a sec i can't wait i can't wait so even though that didn't raise any eyebrows from the jersey police uh they had him empty his pockets and that's when the picture really started to come together he removed from his pockets a flashlight Uh, which had black tape covering the end to create sort of a funnel that would produce a very narrow shaft of light, along with a peaked wool cap, several empty cigarette packets. He also had two lengths of sash cord, several rolls of adhesive tape, and a black wig with with black, stiff, spiky hair. Which, if you're going on your bingo card of all of the uh, stuff that I have mentioned, all of the evidence that I have mentioned... 
you're going to hit bingo. The officers were beginning to believe that they had captured the beast of Jersey uh, when, their final, when the final item confirmed their suspicions, which was a horrific homemade face mask. And I'm going to urge you to look up the beast of Jersey and check out that mask and just scream for days because it is uh, horrifying. Imagine yep. being like a nine-year-old child and being woken up with like a flashlight in your face and then seeing yeah. that mask. You're made to go from deer in the headlights to seeing just something absolutely horrific. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's terrifying. That makes sense. So, under under interrogation, the man uh, gave evasive answers to any questions from the officers, or he simply refused to answer, telling the police to, quote, prove it, end quote. (laughs) Yep. What are you, 12? (sighs) So... He did not explain his odd clothing. Um, he said that he had yes, borrowed he the car. He was oh, going we'll, to an orgy. We'll see. He said Why that he had borrowed the car him? to avoid anyone recognizing him attending the orgy. So he didn't want anyone noticing his car at the orgy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is what What's he said about the nails. What's more an orgy? Fucking raping and killing people? Well, not killing, but... No, not raping killing. Raping people? Um, so this is what he said about the nails... He said that the nails were a defensive measure against anyone who might attack him, but he refused to answer the questions about the mask or the wig. Uh, Officers noticed that he had numerous (sighs) adhesive marks on his face, indicating that he had worn the mask that evening. The man gave his name, which was uh, Edward John Louise Paynell. He was a 46-year-old native Jersey man who worked as a building contractor and was well-known throughout the island. And what was he doing the last 10 years? Let us dive into this motherfucker. Yes. So, he was placed in a cell overnight while officers went to search his home. When they arrived, they found tons of evidence that supported supported their suspicions that he was the beast. In his bedroom, investigators found a secret room, which he kept locked. When they forced it open... They found that it contained the same musty smell as the raincoat. Inside were numerous items, such as a camera, which hung from a hook, uh, besides several photographs of various houses, odd clothing, including an old fawn raincoat, a blue tracksuit, and homemade wigs, hats, and false eyebrows. There was also a large collection of occult paraphernalia, such as books on the occult, black magic rituals, and large curved wooden a large curved wooden sword which hung on the wall. Weird room. Yeah. So To say the they, least. <laughs> yes. They learned that Paynell came from an affluent family and was married with a daughter and two stepchildren. His wife Joan had previously managed a child's foster home called La Preference and they had met when Paynell worked there as a handyman. The foster children referred to Paynell as Uncle Ted uh, he would often give them sweets and gifts, and he played dress-up as Santa Claus to distribute Christmas presents. Edward and Joan married in 1959, two years after he began his sexual assaults. However, it was not a happy union, and the couple frequently fought until the birth of their only child. They subsequently lived together as husband and wife in name only. After the separation, Paynell made modifications to the family house and built an annex onto the house that... Um, the couple had intended to live, uh, which consisted of a large sitting room and office room, which Paynell then used as his own personal home within the home. Okay. His, his wife later recalled that he had, that they had a normal sex life and believed that her husband did not have a very high sex drive. Mm, wonder why. <laughs> she would later discover that Paynell kept at least one mistress during this whole time. So... She was not very astute. No. But we're not going to blame her because people can be garbage and nobody will notice. Yep. Um, so his only brush with the law had been during the German occupation of the island when he served a month in prison for stealing food, which he intended to distribute to starving families. He was considered very much a carefree spirit and would often be found fishing or going for long walks in the countryside at night, which seems creepy. Yeah. Detectives compiled their evidence, and Paynell was charged with 13 counts, including rape, sodomy, and indecent 
assault against six victims, uh, with all but one being a minor. His trial began in November 1971, and his defense counsel were wise not to enter a plea of insanity because of the amount of planning involved in the crimes, which the insanity plea would have been thrown out immediately. In an attempt to throw off suspicion from himself, he faked an Irish accent and would often leave cigarette packets at the crime scene. He believed that this would lead the investigation away from him because as a native Jer- he was a native of Jersey, not Ireland, and he was a non-smoker. Paynell photographed numerous houses which demonstrated a certain degree of premeditation with careful planning some years in advance. He would target a specific home, learning the routine of the occupants and the layout of the home, knowing exactly where to go so that he did not disturb the parents as he made his way to the children's bedrooms. He kept the photographs as trophies of his crimes, and it was revealed that he had a, an obsession with black magic. Penel identified with the 15th century French Lord uh, Gilles de Ray, uh, who was found responsible for the murder of approximately 140 children who were horribly killed during alleged black magic rituals in an attempt to invoke a demon known as Baron. So this is, this is his hero. This is the guy he's looking up to. Okay. <clears throat> in fact, Paynell believed himself to be a descendant of DeRay and would often uh, mention witches' covens, curses, and the involvement in black magic when asked about his motives. So I don't know if that was him trying to seem like he could enter an insanity plea but uh just makes him sound like a freak yeah um the evidence against him was overwhelming the grotesque mask he used was um to both disguise his features and terrify his younger victims into submission the one inch nails on his raincoat and wristband were designed to inflict injury on anyone who attempted to apprehend him if he was interrupted during any of his assaults and it was confirmed by his wife that it was Paynell's handwriting on the letter that was sent to the police, which boasted about claiming more victims. On November 29th, 1971, the court deliberated on his fate, and within 38 minutes, the guilty verdict was reached against Paynell on all charges. Oh, wow. So they found him guilty on 13 charges in 38 minutes. Yeah, that's... So they, that's fantastic. They like didn't even get finished reading one of the charges and they were all like, guilty. Can we just agree on this and go home? Yeah. So he was taken back to his cell to await sentencing, which came two weeks later when he was handed a 30-year prison sentence for all of his crimes. Good. Paynell stood blank as the sentence was read and um, began serving his time at uh, Winchester Prison. In November 1972, he appealed his conviction and sentence, but was unsuccessful, and he was returned to prison. During his time in prison, he was considered to be a model prisoner, and he was released in 1991. And what? Briefly, briefly returned to Jersey. Yeah. Garbage. <sighs> but, yeah, but, his stay would not last long because the local sentiment towards him was still strongly negative because Good. of his crimes, um, they were all still remembered by the islanders who hounded him off the island. He settled Good. on the Isle of Wight, where he died of a heart attack in 1994. Oh, so sad. Wait. Yeah. So this is actually a sad part. Although okay. he had been vindicated, Alphonse, Alphonse Lagastelois, I said it right that time, uh, the original prime. <laughs> he, he was the guy that was the original prime suspect. Um, he re- remained in self-imposed exile for 14 years as a hermit where he became known as the King of Ekreu, which is that tiny little rock island. He remained there until 1975 when he finally returned to Jersey and settled into a single-room cottage on uh, Dumaresque Street in Hellier, uh, where he lived in extreme poverty until his death on June 3rd, 2012. Okay. So this case that's, ruined his life. Yeah, that's absolutely tragic. Like but yeah, it's horrible. Hor- uh, horrifying. Like the the actual perpetrator was found, sentenced, the trial all happened, but he still had his life ruined. Yeah. Like uh, yeah. Yeah, this is fine. Yeah. So 
Meanwhile, there have been unsubstantiated, it's very late, rumors that Paynell was directly involved in the child abuse claims committed at the notorious Jersey children's home, Oudelagaren. Um, the Oudelagaren. <laughs> Sorry, I'm rereading my pronunciation. I have no idea. Um, the independent Jersey Care Inquiry would reveal that he was a regular visitor there. And former residents recall how he would prowl the halls and rooms after creeping inside through a window wearing his raincoat and gloves. He was suspected of using chloroform to render the children unconscious, to remove them from their beds, and abuse them in his preferred way. It was also suspected that he would regularly visit La Préférence, the care home that was run by his wife Joan and her mother-in-law during the 1960s. Um, and he would wear that horrifying mask to abuse the child residents. Oh, Despite wow. the allegations against Penal, he was, uh, he was not included in the initial inquiry into historic sexual abuse at the home, which was known as Operation Rectangle. Police investigators concluded that there was no firm evidence which connected Penal to any of the instances of sexual abuse committed at the home, which came under the parameters of the investigation. Despite these findings, it's believed by some that Edward Paynell committed many more crimes than those that he was suspected and found guilty of committing. There were possibly many more crimes that went unreported to police out of fear that the man in the mask would return to carry out his threats. His legacy on the island is one of fear and terror, which is remembered by his victims and the police officers who spent 14 years hunting the beast of Jersey. Oh, God. And that is the story of the beast of jersey god what a piece of shit yeah he's horrible fuck that guy yeah yeah but still everyone needs to go look at that mask because i saw it so now you have to see it because it's the worst thing in the world um there's a little bit of pop culture okay um, in uh, obviously because this story is such a grand story not good just large that um it would inspire some pop culture. In 1972, his wife, Joan Paynell, wrote the book, The Beast of Jersey. So that's about his first person account as you can get. Yeah. Um, after the trial, freelance journalist Alan Shadrake became Joan Paynell's literary agent and ghost wrote a first person article with John Listeners, which was published in the Sunday Mirror under the title, The Beauty and the Beast. And it featured a photograph of Mrs. Paynell in a ballet dance pose in white and a police photo of her husband wearing the horrific mask he wore during his kidnapping and assaults. One source, however, reports that at the trial, it was stated that Paynell never wore the mask during the attacks. Which I'm going to call bullshit on because people yeah. said that they saw the mask. Yeah. Um, there is a... Allegedly, a thriller documentary in pre-production, this is according to um, an IMDb listing that was updated in May 2019, so it okay. might still be going on. It's called The Beast of Jersey, and the description says, quote, The shocking story of the man who terrorized the island of Jersey for 11 years and evaded capture in the 1960s after raping hundreds of children and the police detective on the case who became obsessed with tracking down the attacker, end quote. So it okay. says that that is in pre-production. I haven't seen like the needle move in either way, whether it's still going on or it's not. But um, I'd be interested in seeing These a documentary time, about that. Though. Yeah. Um, and then in 2018, there's a movie called Beast. It got a Rotten Tomato score of 91%. Oh. Yeah. Audience score of 75. Google store score of 74. And a 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb. So... Kind of across all boards, it did yeah. like pretty good. Um, I think that's one of the highest scores we've, like, across the board, one of the highest right, scores yes. we've seen of any movie we've talked about. No, I'd have to agree with you. Yeah. So the critics' consensus was um, Beast plays like a bleak uh, poetry, unfurling its psychological thrills while guided by its captivating leads and mesmerizing visceral visuals. I didn't recognize any of the names of the actors, but... Um, I think it's not a U.S. production, I'm going to go out on a limb and say. Um, but I haven't watched it yet. I definitely have to. Yeah. Very recent, 2018. 
Oh. Um, yeah. It won a bunch of awards. Who uh, was in it, it? I don't know. I will look it up in a second. I, yeah, look it but up. It won the BAFTA Award for Outstanding Debut by a British Writer. Yeah, so it's not US-based. Um, All right, we directed, definitely will know them then. Yes. Uh, yeah, the BAFTA Award for Outstanding Debut of a British Writer, Director, or Producer, and the British Independent Film Award for Most Promising Newcomer. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, real time, looking it up. Hold on. Holding my horses. Uh, I'll post a trailer on the website because it's pretty fucking dope. Yeah, it got it certified fresh. Nice. Uh, yeah, user ratings, over a thousand user ratings, and it got a 75%. Wow. That's, um, wow. I'm going to shout out some of the actors. Jesse Buckley, Johnny Flynn, Geraldine James, Charlie Palmer Rothwell, and, oh my god, this is my favorite last name ever, Hattie oh, Gotobed. No. It's literally G-O-T-O-B-E-D. Go to bed. Oh. That's incredible. Um... Oh, oh, I know Geraldine James. I just looked her up. She's in Anne with an E. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then um, I don't remember who else you said, but huh. Okay. Yeah. So the description of the movie is uh, the main character, uh, Maul, is 27 and still living at home, stifled by the small island community around her and too beholden to her family to break away. When she meets Pascal, a free-spirited stranger, a whole new world opens up to her and she begins to feel alive for the first time, falling madly in love. Big Finally mistake. breaking free Yeah, right. Finally breaking free from her family, Maul uh moves in with Pascal to start a new life, but when he is arrested and the key suspect in a series of brutal murders, there she is left is. isolated and afraid. Yeah. Choosing to stand with him against the suspicions of the community, Maul finds herself forced to make choices that will impact her life forever. Hmm. So, although that the Beast of Jersey really didn't kill anybody, this is a, like a different take, it seems, on uh, the story, but still, seems damn good. Yeah. We might have to have a movie night. We might have to have a movie night. Yeah. So, that is the Beast of Jersey. I hope you're sufficiently terrified on this spooktober. We're nearing the end here. Yes. And it's been a fun ride, but also a very stressful ride. Yes. <laughs> I, I, uh. But it's a fun time. We love it all. Um, yes. If you we want enjoy more talking in- about it. Of course. We don't enjoy that it's happened. <laughs> no. I just want to clarify. Yes. Um... Yeah. Uh, if you want to know more information, you can go on the website, which is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. I'm sorry I've been a little lax with uh, updating it, but I have been swamped at work and got engaged and went on a huge family trip. And this has been a wild month. <laughs> yeah, so fair. I will get I will get a bunch of stuff up. Worry not, friends. I am not um, worried. You can email us at crimeculturepod at gmail.com. Yeah, can, email us. Yes, we love uh, replying to all our wonderful emails and yes. all of our DMs and stuff on social media. You can we find us on... We love a good email. We love a good DM. Yes. Talk to a lot of people on Facebook. Love. Yep. Instagram. Love. If you, uh, if you mention us in like your story or something, we share that, by the way. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if everybody knew that, but every single time someone mentions us in their story, we share it and it goes in a, our little highlight that says listener love. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening, if you're like rocking out to the theme song, which I adore, <laughs> I've seen a couple of, uh, of videos of that. It's I believe, my favorite thing. I believe anyways, How's Your Sex Life, another podcast with whom we're friends, referred to our music at one point as totally twerkable totally twerkable and that is what should be on uh our theme song composers uh business card and Michael our gravestones yes 
Michael Quick did the uh, music. I know we haven't mentioned it in a while. He's the best. Hi, Michael. Hi, Michael. Best roommate ever. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, yeah. So go to the social media. Share. Like. If you got one of our pins during our pin promotion, take a picture of you with your pin. Where is your yeah. pin living? I know it is living on a uh, rear view uh, mirror taco on uh, one of our friend's uh, yes. cars. So 100% love that. And then other people that. are just wearing them they're putting them on their backpacks love it i put all my pins on my backpack so show Cameron us where your pin lives not wearing her pin because it she got will receive it sent back she will I'm receive mad it at that. momentarily it takes me it takes me back to that friends episode where joey's parents don't get invited to monica and chandler's wedding don't even talk to me about he wedding makes her call because i'm so stressed right now you can use this excuse too he makes her call his parents and like invite them and he was like they hate the irish and the postal service and she's like it must be that damn postal service i mean what are they irish so really <laughs> what is the canadian yes. postal service what are they irish yeah we're gonna start that rumor <laughs> uh-oh anywho Thanks for listening. Yeah, we appreciate you. Leave us you. a five-star review. That's always a fun thing to do, right? Yeah, sure. Love it. Whatever you want to do. Yeah. We will see you next Tuesday. <gasps> she did it. I did. That's because oh. our next episode's on Tuesday. Yeah, but there were other Thursdays that you didn't do it. I remember a time way back when when you were like, I'm not doing it, Caitlin. I'm going to hang no, up now. No, you get to suffer. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Bye.